Bibles and open to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 37. Before we begin, just want to pass along greetings from Pastor Stephen. I uh, went down to Faith Baptist Bible College on Thursday. They had a um, kind of a seminar day for pastors uh, talking about a topic and different professors pre- presented, and Pastor Stephen was there, and, and he said, hey, on the way back, you're passing past Huxley. Why don't you just follow me? And I uh, was able to check out their office space for their church plant, Ballard Creek Church, and so that was fun to talk to him and to uh, to see uh, what's happening there. Then they're looking forward to Easter. Their launch service uh, to the public uh, is on Easter, and so uh, I assured him that we are praying for him, and we will keep praying for him and especially as they make that public launch to the community there in Huxley. So it was, it was fun to see him and to, uh, to catch up. If you found your way to Mark chapter 7, it's on page 842 and 843 uh, in the Pew Bible. Let's pray, and we'll look at our passage. <coughs> Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship, to lift our voices to you. Lord, why do we sing? Well, first you command us to sing. You want us to sing. And in singing, it engages our body and our minds and our souls and our emotions. Lord, we are lifting our voices to you. Lord, what a wonderful, merciful Savior, our almighty, infinite Father, the counselor and comforter and keeper, the three in one. Lord, thank you for being a great God. Help us now as we come to your word. Encourage us with us. Make us more like Jesus because of it. Lord, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Follow along as I read our passage this morning. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them not to tell anyone or to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I don't know about you, judging our based upon the age of your vehicle, how often you get a phone call about the extended warranty on your vehicle, right? Um, 
I got, I think, three calls this past week uh, about a very important notice concerning the warranty on my vehicles. And I said, yeah, I don't have any warranty on my vehicles. Uh, sorry. And that's kind of the classic joke, right? Uh, these uh, telemarketers call and they try and get you to pay for a warranty. And a warranty can be a good thing sometimes. Sometimes it can be a frustrating thing. Have you ever purchased something and it was under warranty and something broke on it or it wasn't working quite right? And so you call the company and you say, hey, I bought this six months ago and it was working fine, but now it isn't. And you always usually talk to somebody on the phone who always makes it seem like it's your fault it's not working properly, right? Well, it should be. Did you, you know, throw it out of your window? No, like there's something wrong with it. Is it under warranty? And then they read through the fine print of the warranty. But then it comes to that point and they say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not covered in your warranty. Ugh. I'm going to have to pay for this out of pocket or buy a new one, right? It's out of warranty or it's not covered by the warranty. It's very frustrating, right? To think you were safe, you had this, and then, nope, you're going to have to end up paying for it. It didn't cover it. It didn't fall under the umbrella of the warranty coverage that it would be fixed without cost to you. That is very frustrating. Frustrating because you will have to pay for it, but on the other hand, you thought you were covered. You thought you were safe. You thought that you had protection through this warranty. As we come to this passage this morning, we're going to meet a woman and a man both of whom are Gentiles. They are not Jews. They are from the area of Tyre and Sidon to the north. And these individuals both have needs. The woman has a daughter who is, uh, who's possessed by a demon, and the man is deaf, and, and his deafness has led to a speech impediment. Two Gentiles, two individuals outside of the nation of Israel, yet they have great needs. And as... A Jew would look at this situation, they would say, well, they are Gentiles. They are outside of the covenant community of the nation of Israel. What hope do they have? They are outside the coverage, in a sense, of this warranty. But as we read in these verses this morning, Jesus is confronted by the woman and this man, and we see how his kingdom authority, the fact that he is the almighty, sovereign, suffering servant king, he has come to Israel. He has come to the nation of the Jews and said, I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am great David's greater son. And I have come to be your king. You know, the amazing thing is his blessing that associates his coming is not reserved only for the Jews, but through Christ, it is offered to the whole world, to Jew and Gentile, to anyone who would respond in faith. And that's our big idea this morning is that Christ's kingdom authority covers all who respond in faith. His kingdom authority is yes, over the nation of Israel directly, but by way of the Abrahamic covenant, which we'll talk about, that through the seed of Abraham, the entire world will be blessed. Through, the, through Jesus Christ, the entire world will receive blessing. 
So let's look at this interaction here between these two individuals, this woman and this man. Start off, Christ's kingdom, Christ's kingdom authority covers all who respond in, in faith, regardless of ethnic identity, regardless of ethnic identity. So Jesus is traveling here again. He's been moving around with his disciples to different areas. And it says they went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is the modern day area of Lebanon. So if you're familiar with the geography of the Near East, it's just to the north of Israel. It's just to the north. And often in the Old Testament, we hear of the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon. It was, a, it was an area rich in, in natural resources, specifically their cedar trees. <coughs> These cedar trees were given to Solomon to build the temple. David and Solomon had a good relationship with the king of Lebanon. You can read in the beginning of 1 Kings as the temple is being built of Solomon dealing with the king of, of Tyre and Sidon and them trading workers and trading money and uh, these large cedar trees being used to build the temple. So there was a good relationship at one point between Tyre and Sidon. But then things started to kind of crumble as the nation of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And there were a few people from Sidon who weren't the best of friends to the Jews. You ever heard of Queen Jezebel? She's from Sidon. Um, she didn't look too kindly upon Elijah or others who believed in Jehovah and Yahweh. And over time, that relationship soured. And over time, they began, became enemies uh, to the Jews. They were not friends. There was not a good agreement between them. As the Jews came back from exile, and as they sought to reestablish themselves, there was conflict in small ways, in economic and societal uh, and ethnic ways between the north of Tyre and Sidon and the Jews. They were Gentiles. They were, they were pagans. And you had the Jews. But this is the area that Jesus travels to. And it says in verse 24 that he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. There's some question as to why he went to this area. More than likely, Jesus and his disciples have been trying to catch a breath, right? And they're probably thinking, let's go to an area where there's more Gentiles out of the Jewish eye. And I'm sure maybe a few people would have heard of us, but maybe we can get some rest. So they go up and they enter a house and they did not want anyone to know. But Mark tells us, yet he could not be hidden. Word had spread. Verse 25, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. Syrophoenician is another term for someone born in that area. Uh, Phoenicia is also uh, a nation that was once existed in that area. So it's that same place there along the coast north of Israel. This woman comes to Jesus. And she's got a couple strikes against her in the eyes of the first century Jewish individual. First off, she was a Gentile. She was a Syrophoenician. She was not a Jew. She was considered unclean. And here she is coming to a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher. Any other Jewish teacher would 
be saying, get away from me, you are unclean, right? But here's this woman coming to Jesus as a Gentile. So that's strike number one. Strike number two, she's a woman. In the first century, it was very, very inappropriate for a woman to boldly and brashly come to a male teacher and speak out in such a way as this. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It was just the circumstances of the first century and the Jewish culture at that time. And here she is, a Gentile woman coming to Jesus boldly, asking something. She comes and it says, she fell down at his feet. And she had a problem. What was the problem? Her daughter back at home had an unclean spirit. She was possessed. A demon was afflicting her. I think it's interesting how the demons, these unclean spirits, not only attacked Jewish individuals, but Gentile as well. They were seeking to control, to exert satanic influence over the entirety of the world, not just this small nation of Israel. Now, it might have been focused there because of Jesus' ministry, but it was wide-ranging. And this woman comes. She's a Gentile. She falls at the feet of Jesus and she begs him, it says in verse 26. She begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So right off the bat, we see this woman's faith. She's a Gentile from the area of Tyre and Sidon. She's a woman. Her daughter has an unclean spirit. And yet she comes to Jesus recognizing who he is. This is Jesus. This is the one who can do something. It's interesting the Jews, who should have every reason to believe in Jesus, should have all the reason in the world to see the scriptures in the Old Testament and say, what this guy is doing is matching up. I think this is the Messiah. And yet they're still rejecting him. But here is a woman born outside of the covenant community of Judah who is down on her luck, who has a daughter who is possessed by a demon. And she says, I'm going to go to Jesus because he can do something. He can do something. So she comes to Jesus and it says she begged him. It's literally the idea of, of, uh, of groveling, of being down on your knees, of pleading, please help me. Please help me. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Verse 27, and he said to her, this is Jesus. Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Now reading this, if you're not aware of this or expecting this, it's like, oh, what did Jesus say? <laughs> did he just call this woman a dog? Well, yes, he did. But let's look at the context of what he's saying here. So here's a Gentile coming to Jesus and she's begging, help me. And he says this, let the children be fed first. So he's using this illustration of a meal at a table. And he speaks of children. Who are these children? Well, the children is the nation of Israel. It's the chosen nation. It's God's people. It's the people who Moses, or who through Moses, he gave the law, right? All the way back in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. This is this is the, the nation that we're learning about in Sunday school that Josh was leading into the promised land that they're going to take possession of. These are the children. Several references throughout the Old Testament and the prophets speaking of Israel as God's child or God's children. 
And he says, let the children be fed first. Let them be fed first. That they have priority here. For it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. So they're speaking of food. What is this food? Well, the food here is this blessing of God. This, uh, this special provision from God. It's not right, he says, to take the bread from the children and to throw it to the dogs. This term dogs, in our minds, we read this and we think of like mangy mutts, right? Uh, a group of stray dogs wandering around. That's not what the term is implying here. The term that it's, it's implying here is the idea of a, of a pet in a house, something that's loved and cared for. Uh, it's not, you know, the scraps that you throw out the window and the jackals come along. Uh, this, is, this is a... A, a treasured part of a household, right? We don't have any pets. I'm too pragmatic for that. I'm just trying to keep my children alive right now. Um, some of you might have a dog, and the dog knows when supper time is happening, if you have an inside dog, and they might find their way and under the table, and maybe you have a child or two that likes to maybe drop something down there for them, or maybe your children is just messy, and so the dog is happy, because they know where the food's going to fall. It's, it's a very common illustration in our minds, and it would have been in, in the same way in the first century. But Jesus is saying, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the bread or the food and throw it to the dogs. So Jesus is saying this, and he, what he's saying is, the nation of Israel has this chosen place in God's plan. Is it right for it to for me to take my blessing and what I'm bringing to them and give it to these Gentiles, these pagans? In a sense, these dogs is somebody who's, who's not on the same level, in the sense, as the children. Now, Jesus makes this statement, and there's a lot of differing thoughts among commentators. One is that Jesus is saying this as a hard, fast rule, and that he is stating the fact. Others take it that the context with the response of the woman is implying that in Jesus' wisdom and the fact that he's God and that he knew what the woman's response was going to be made this statement in a sense to draw the response out of her. Now, we don't know necessarily for sure, but Jesus knows what he's doing. Has there ever been a time when Jesus has interacted with a religious leader or somebody else in the Gospels and Jesus is caught off guard? Now, he might be moved with amazement or astonishment at someone's faith, but he's never like, oh, I didn't know you were going to say that. That's not Jesus. So I think the statement or the idea that Jesus was, in a sense, drawing this response out of the woman is a fair way of thinking about this. So he makes a statement, verse 28. But look at this woman. What, what wonderful boldness in, this, in this, uh, this woman. She said, she answered him, verse 28. She didn't say, I'm sorry, master, and walk away. <laughs> she didn't say, oh, I'm sorry. It says, but she answered him. She answered him. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's saying, you're right, Lord. What you're saying is correct. But even the dogs still get some food from time to time. Crumbs fall. Even in the midst of feeding children, Crumbs fall down and the dogs are able to enjoy them. What is she saying here? She's saying that even though the children may be fed first, there are still crumbs, there are still other overflow in a sense 
that the dogs can enjoy. And he said to her in verse 29, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus healed the woman's daughter from where he's at. He didn't go to her. He didn't have to find his way through the crowd and go out again. All he said was, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. That's, an, again, an amazing demonstration of Jesus' kingdom authority. He doesn't have to be in the presence of a demon. He can just know in his omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent power that the demon has been cast out, that he has cast out the demon. And this faith of this Gentile woman is amazing. What she has communicated with Jesus is that, yes, you have come to the nation of Israel and and as their suffering servant king, you're presenting yourself and, and looking to establish God's kingdom. And though the original recipients of that is the nation of Israel, there is going to be blessing that overflows to the Gentile nations. That's why I had Pastor James read for us from Isaiah 35. Isaiah is full of language. It's full of this prophecy of what the coming kingdom is going to be like. It's going to be a place of amazing uh, of, of beauty and of removal of sin and abundance of blessing. The wrongs are going to be made right, the crooked smooth. It's going to be amazing. And here, this woman is saying, I'm a Gentile, I understand that. But the blessing that you're bringing through your kingdom is going to be for all people and not just the nation of Israel. This is a huge shift and would be a huge shift in thinking for the disciples and for other Jews because for a long time it's been the Jews against the world right it's been the Jews against Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and then then Rome but all of a sudden now God's blessing through Christ is coming to the nation but then also for the broader population, for the Gentile, for the entire world. And is this something new? Or where does it have its source? If you understand the promise made to Abraham, we see where this has its grounding. If you're familiar with the Abrahamic covenant, it's in Genesis 15, also in Genesis 18 and Genesis 12, where God comes to Abram at the time, hasn't changed his name yet, People in Genesis love to have two or three names. Um, <laughs> he comes to Abram and he says, Abram, get up, take your stuff and follow me. I'm going to take you someplace and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. As the stars in the sky, as the sand on the beach, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever persecutes you will be persecuted by me. This is what the Lord said to Abram and to Abraham. <laughs> he made this covenant. And this covenant was not dependent upon Abraham's faith because Abraham failed a lot of times. But he trusted God. And all the way back in this Abrahamic covenant, we see how through Abraham, the entire world is going to be blessed. And how did that come to fruition? 
Well, first and foremost, it came by way of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, according to Matthew 1, is a descendant of David, the great king who God also promised an eternal throne to. But David is also a descendant of Abraham. God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham through Jesus, how through Jesus all the nations of the world will be blessed. And here we see a small shadow of the beginning of it. And there have been other instances in the past of God using Gentiles, of using pagan individuals in his plan. In Joshua 2, the spies go into Jericho and they meet a woman, Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a pagan, but yet God used her. You know whose line she's in? Jesus's. There's also another woman in the Old Testament by name of Ruth, who's a Moabitess. Do you know whose line she's also in? Jesus's. There are other instances of God blessing uh, Gentile uh, believers in the Old Testament or people who feared the Lord, of his blessing pouring out more than the nation of Israel into those surrounding nations. But here we see Jesus speaking directly to this Gentile woman and saying, you're correct. You are correct. In a certain sense, you are a dog. You are not a child of the Lord. You are a Gentile. But even you will experience the blessing of this coming kingdom and the king himself. She went home in verse 30 and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is an amazing display, one of Christ's power to cast out this demon, but also the fact that in his kingship, the fact that he is a suffering servant king, it is more than just the nation of Israel. It's the entire world. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is good news for you and I. Because I don't know how many of you are by nature, or, or excuse me, uh, by birth, Jewish. Might be down the line of somebody in your family, but most of us are Gentiles. And if it wasn't for the promise that was found here in this woman and her confronting Jesus and asking this question, we would, in a sense, not be able to partake if it was just only for the nation of Israel. But we are, in a sense, these dogs. <laughs> this is us. But yet we are so blessed through Christ that we can participate in these wonderful blessings. And we will participate in more wonderful blessings. And we read of this in Ephesians 2, where Jesus has come and he's tore down the dividing line between Jew and Gentile. And from that, from those two groups, he's made one new body. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing that we have the opportunity to participate in salvation in Jesus Christ. God's plan is, yes, for the nation, but it's for the whole world. And that includes you and I if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. His kingdom authority is more than just for the Jews. It's for everyone. And this is important to Mark. For Mark's audience, more than likely, was Gentile. Right? They could be reading this and hearing it read to them and think, but I'm not a Jew. I don't care about clean and unclean. What does that matter? But here in this passage, like, oh, 
Jesus helps this woman who's a Gentile and how he is, he is powerful and he wants to bless and, and to be used. And he is the king over all, not just the Jews. So our ethnic identity does not keep us from participating in Jesus's kingdom authority. Secondly, our social status. Regardless of social status, Jesus's kingdom authority covers those who respond in faith. Verse 31, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. So he came down from Tyre through Sidon and he came to the area of Decapolis. Decapolis is a, is a group of 10 towns. Do you know your prefixes? Deca, a decagon, a 10-sided shape. Uh, it means 10. So there are 10 cities and they had a, a loose alliance, economic and uh, military defensive alliance. Sometimes there are seven, sometimes there are 12 cities, but it started with 10. So this is, again, a Gentile area. And, he, and they brought him to him, a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. So they brought this man to Jesus. This man obviously could not find his own way to Jesus. He was deaf. He could not hear. And more than likely, that's what led to the speech impediment. I'm sure we've all heard somebody who has had a hearing difficulties and their speech is just a little slow or you can tell it's uh, their hearing is just a little off. It's, it's often something that goes hand in hand. And so he had the speech impediment. How much could he speak? We don't know necessarily, but he was deaf. He couldn't hear. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ear and after spitting, touched his tongue. So Jesus takes the man alone, takes him to the side privately. And he does something that he does a few times in the Gospels. Sometimes when Jesus heals, he heals just by his word. Like the previous, uh, this previous account of this woman and her daughter, right? He wasn't even in the same room and he cast the demon out. But here, he does so in a very physical way. So he has the man and he takes his ears and the junior high boy in me, as I read this, is like, this is like wet willy, you know? Like, it's like he's spitting, he's sticking fingers in ears, like, what's going on? <laughs> we, we're not sure exactly why Jesus did this. Sometimes the physical is associated with, with the healing. Uh, there was some tradition in the first century of rabbis uh, using their hands and even spit that it was medicinal, you know, and all the old, you know, just put some spit on it, right? How many have you get a scrape on your knee? Or um, so we're not necessarily sure of the purpose directly, but it's it's showing Jesus's healing power. So he he takes his fingers and he sticks them into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. More than likely, um, he he you know either touched his hand uh, to his own tongue and then touched a man's hand, or he spit in his hand um, and put it on the man's hand. It's it's demonstrating that Jesus is seeking to heal the ears and the tongue. Verse 34, and looking up to heaven, this is a posture of prayer. He looks up to heaven and he sighed. It's a, and said to him, Ephatha. There's a lot of PHs in there. Ephatha. It's an Aramaic word. That is, it means be opened. So he puts his hands in the man's ear, touches his tongue. He looks up to heaven. And he prays. He says, be opened. Be opened. Verse 35, and we see the response. His ears were opened. 
His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. He spoke like he'd always spoken his entire life. Like he could speak normally from a child. Jesus heals this man who again has no social standing, who is more than likely a Gentile. We don't know that for sure, but being in this area and being accompanied with this account of the Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman, Jesus heals him. The social status of the man does not, does not remove Jesus from healing him and from him receiving this blessing from Jesus. Verse 36, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. He's done this before and he's still doing this. He's not ready to fully reveal himself to the general public. Why is that? Because they would want to take him and to force him to be king and to overthrow the Romans. And that's not what Jesus was all about. Jesus was talking about the spiritual aspect of the kingdom and wanting to turn people's hearts towards him, not some military revolt. And so Jesus charges them. He tells them, or he charged them to tell no one. But <laughs> that didn't work. The more he charged them, the more zealously, the more vehemently, the more excitedly they proclaimed it. He charged them, don't tell anyone. Okay. Yeah, they didn't listen. They go out and they zealously told everyone. And I love what they say. This is a Gentile area. And they are excited about what Jesus, verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure. And what did they say? I love this phrase. He has done all things well. That is Jesus. He does all things well. He does all things well. It says he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. <clears throat> this man who lacked social standing, who was more than likely a Gentile, this woman who was a Gentile, who was far in a sense from Jesus, yet Jesus has come. And under his own authority, the fact that he is a suffering servant king, that he is demonstrating that they too are welcomed into this kingdom, that they too can be covered by this blessing. They respond in faith. For Jesus does all things well. The offer of salvation in Christ is for any and all. Do you humbly desire to know Christ? To have your sins forgiven, to be made right with him, to live a life not for yourself and to live a life for something that matters for eternity. Jesus is the sovereign, suffering, servant king over all. Jew and Gentile, and he welcomes both in him. Jesus is the culmination. Jesus is the one that tear downs the barrier in Ephesians 2, so that in the place of these two, there is one in Christ. Jesus welcomes us as a dog to the table, as a deaf man to be healed, as those who are broken to be put back together. It's what we sung. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. Nothing keeps you from Jesus, not your ethnic identity, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, whether you're, you're black or white, nor your social status, whether you're, you're old or young, rich or poor. You have the right family name. You don't have the right family name. You come from this side of the tracks or the other side of the tracks. It's not about any of that. It's about humbly responding to Jesus in faith. And that is the message of the gospel. That is the message of hope. 
For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved only the Jews or the rich or those who had the right social status. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, whosoever, anybody should believe in him should not perish and have eternal life. Jesus' kingdom authority is offered and any who would respond in faith, regardless of ethnic background and social status, he bids us to come to experience the blessing of knowing him as our savior, to participate in the promises offered to his children and to experience the fact that he does all things well. You have responded in faith, rejoice. You are experiencing those blessings and you will experience them even more in the future. But if not, you've been holding Christ at a distance, if you've been making excuses as why you shouldn't trust in Christ, what are you waiting for? We are covered in the warranty of the kingdom of God. <laughs> we are there. The promise is offered and covers. Let us rejoice and take heart. For as these individuals said at the end of Mark 7, this is Jesus. They were astonished. For he has done all things well. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be known by you in Christ, that we've been grafted in, that even though we are not part of the nation of Israel, though we are not Jews, Lord, you welcome us in Christ. Lord, through Christ, we receive the blessing of salvation. Lord, that's an amazing thing, for without it, we would be far from you. Lord, let us find our joy in Christ and understanding that we have participation in these blessings. And may those here who might be putting this off or wondering about if Christ really is good, why he can't use me or I, I'm not good enough for him, no. Lord, may they come to Christ. May they humbly confess their sin, repent and trust in Jesus alone as their Savior. And may they find that he does all things well. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And it's because of him we can stand before you. Lord, we love you. We pray for all these things in your son's name.